0: Hi everyone, I'm Liam and welcome back to another episode of the CineRealm podcast. Today we are delving back into the character of the Joker and I'm joined by my good friend Will Fletcher again. Will, how are you doing?
1: Not too bad dude, how are you?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty good. So we talked a little bit last time about Jack Nicholson's Joker. And we gave some special mentions to Mark Hamill, Cesar Romero and had a little look at Jared Leto as well to see what went wrong in his performance. And if you haven't seen that episode already, I would strongly encourage you to go back over and watch it. Because today we are going to be moving on to arguably my favourite Joker performance, if I I had to say. It's very close because I think your queen phoenix heath ledger jack nicholson romero hamill a the lot, the lot they all bring something very interesting to, and very unique to their roles but the character the character that heath ledger created the joker that he created for me was just a cut up and above everything else but Before that, before we go on to Heath Ledger, I'm I'm very, very excited to talk about that. I'm going to hand the reins over to Will for a few moments, because he wants to give a special mention to someone from an animated series.
1: Yes, so um, a few days back, I rewatched the movie version of The Dark Knight Returns, which is one of the best uh, comics on Batman and a gentleman named Michael Emerson I hope I'm saying that right um, portrayed the Joker as this uh, he's getting back into the role because he's just been he's just been lethargic and he hasn't really been himself for all these years and the scene uh, where he breaks his own neck and all that stuff uh, he really holds it holds himself and it was a nice nice um, it was just really nice to see a different portrayal that still held all the character that we talked about last
0: time. Well, I—that is, those are some definitely fair points, and I think that is ultimately what the what the Joker is about, as we discussed a lot in the last episode, and as we'll discuss. Again, probably in this episode, it's about taking a character where a lot of those traditional elements of the character are there, but then also making the character into something new and original in your own sort of way.
1: Yeah, very true. And um, the writers of The Dark Knight Returns, I think, already were writing one of the best versions of the Joker. And this guy really made that character... Uh, ...come to life on the screen. I do think Mark Hamill would have had to change... ...how he usually performs... ...just as this is such a different take. Mm.
0: mm. Um. But... So, ...so we are going to jump into... Today, ...today's um segment... ...which oh, I, I am beyond... ...beyond excited to talk about this. It is the performance of Heath Ledger... ...as the Joker and following two hours <laughs> I, I, I honestly if if i could i i could talk about this for like god 10 plus hours it's it, it, it's ridiculous i uh, i've got i I've gotta be i've got to be careful going going right out of the gun with this but it, it it was a follow-up to the successful reboot of batman begins introducing the um you know acclaimed cast of um Michael Caine, Christian Bale, Morgan Freeman, etc., featuring Celia Murphy as the Scarecrow and Liam Neeson as Rachel Gould. Acclaimed director Christopher Nolan, who obviously has gone on to do Dunkirk, Inception and recently now Tenet, followed up that film with a sequel The Dark Knight. And in doing so, Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker and I think what makes Heath Ledger a pretty interesting choice, and I've obviously done a little bit of research and I've scoured around the internet, is that Heath Ledger wasn't a big fan of comic books. He wasn't a big fan of comic books, but there was something about this character that drew him to the Joker that made him want to undertake this role, and he did an absolutely fantastic job. And in interviews, he described him as this psychopathic, mass-murdering, schizophrenic clown with zero empathy. And he famously locked himself in a room for a month so he could reach the depth of loneliness that the Joker adhered to and that he wanted his Joker to adhere to. And it was so tragic that just after just before, just um over six months before the film was released he Ledger, you know sadly died over a, of a, dr- a very unfortunate drug overdose but we can still remember his performance and we can still celebrate his former performance and he did go on to win an academy award in the category of Best Supporting Actor, which was graciously accepted by his family. And it was definitely deserved. Without question, it was definitely deserved.
1: Yeah, I genuinely... Um, I think this... Um, taken on the role of someone this psychotic always has its down uh, parts. I think when... I know I brought this up last time, but when they recorded the movie uh, The House That Jack Built and um, they were, they had these people at the front with like sick bags because people were just being sick on the front and the actors in the movie were like taking breaks because just portraying these this evil man really took a toll on the lead actor and that's shown here obviously to the nth degree and I know you said about the uh, Oscar for best um
0: supporting actor but the Knight also won, won it for sound editing mm-hmm. Shout out Richard King one of the best sound
1: editors in Hollywood
0: we we're, we we're, 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 we're talking we're talking about sound but we we've also got to talk about the score as well and James um James Newton Howard and Hans Zimmer Return to write the score for this. Arguably, Hans Zimmer is one of my favourite composers, film composers ever. And he did a remarkable job of this score especially. Of this score especially. And I love, I love the 60-minute Dark Knight Suite on the CD. To be honest, it was one of the, when I was younger, it was actually one of the first CDs I think I bought was the score. And I, I can remember growing up, After, you know, the Dark Knight, because obviously I was much younger back then. I had all the toys and everything and I would listen to this score all the time. And I was just drawn in. I was engaged to what Hans Zimmer was trying to convey with his music. And especially with these motifs of the Joker, especially the Why So Serious theme, that really characterized everything that the Joker should have been about a little bit a little funny at times a little bit sinister and a little bit playful with with Batman but overall just a psychopath and Hans Zimmer conveyed that extremely well in my opinion and I think the best place to sort of start talking about Heath Ledger's Joker is right at the start Is the start of the film and it's that bank robbery and all these characters are sort of talking about one and talking to one another and eventually obviously it's unearthed as as the bank robbery moves on but towards the start you've got all these characters talking about how the boss man can sit out and everything and thinks he can still take a cut and lo and behold the boss man himself in another clown mask is sat in the back of the car just watch just listening to them listening to them go on and on and on and on, and little bits of the job, for example, cutting the power, breaking into the bank, opening the vault, the 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 robbers start to turn on one another. They start to turn on one another about, cutting, you know, cleaning up loose ends. And immediately, I thought that was a really interesting twist. And especially when the, the final robber, or so it seemed, the final two, um, we're waiting at the edge of the bank for the bus. For the bus, and all of a sudden, this bus emerges and kills the final robber. And the Joker's just stood there, still wearing his mask. Another, another robber pops at the back. Joker just shoots. Him. Joker just shoots him abruptly. Takes care of a reluctant bank manager who tried to fight back. Pulls off his mask and just walks out. But what a start! What a start to the film. Immediately foregrounding this sense of non stop action that we're going to be seeing throughout the course of the film. But what a way to introduce the Joker character, wasn't it, Will?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, totally one of the best opening scenes, especially in any superhero film. I always liked the bit where you have uh, him stood with his mask looking down, and the camera slowly pans mm. down mm-hmm. to the mask. And uh, it's always nice if you look just above the mask. There's a, a poster for Spider-Man Three. <laughs> uh, that that was always a strange coincidence. And that scene also gave me these idea- This view because it's like is he just stood in the street, where in his full mask, in his full like makeup and all this, and this. The, like tiny little questions like that keep me coming back to this movie every time. And this heist, it's not Asia, Ocean's Eleven heist, you know, but for, especially for a superhero movie and um, having the Chris Nolan budget, it's like, it does exactly what it needs to, and all the performances are great. Oh. And having this having this like ragtag team who you'll, you'll think you'll need to start Knowing the robbers' names, and then they all just start dying. And when you see his, um, when you see Heath Ledger's face to face for the first time, he says, Uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stranger. It that reveal and the look that the bank manager gives him is exactly what everyone in the theater and watching it at home, uh, all, all were thinking. It's this like dread of oh, he's taken down Rayshard Ghoul and he's taken down the Scarecrow. This is going to be a whole different ballgame.
0: Oh, oh, it is going to be a whole different ballgame. And it was the reveal right at the end of Batman Begins when Jim Gordon, played played incredibly well by Gary Oldman, presented um, Christian Bale's Batman with a calling card. And it was a, a joker... I'm playing cards and and Batman says I'll look into it and you know you you just knew from then what the next film was going to entail but also we're going to see another reincarnation of a brilliant Joker but also another reincarnation and another take on the very interesting and complex relationship and i was always looking forward to seeing what nolan was going to do with this relationship and whether he was going to make it darker make it more lighthearted which which route he was going to go down if he was going to use something that uh, that had come before and put his own spin on it but he did a tremendous job of crafting something truly original and One scene that I want to particularly talk about and one very memorable Joker quote for me was that interrogation scene when they finally arrest Joker and it's the you complete me. A very sort of quaint callback to Tom Cruise's line from Jerry Maguire to René Zellweger, but it's that summarizes the relationship very eloquently between Batman and the Joker. They complete each other. And they will sh- always share this bond that neither of them would ever care to confess to. They'll always be connected to one another, even at a subconscious level. They're in each other's heads all the time. And they're always wondering what the next move is of either party is going to be. And they always keep each other at odds. And that's what makes this their relationship so, so poignant, really, and... Heath Ledger did a fantastic job in not only playing this maniac that we know and love, but also playing a Joker who really took the relationship between himself and Batman in his stride. And going back to the last episode again,
1: I think that's where Jared Leto's Joker failed massively because there was what one scene where that they shared together. And he wasn't even in they weren't even in the same shots together. this having the relationship between the two you cannot gloss over that that's like a hallmark of death in the family and all of these great comics mm. and you need to build on that or at least show part of it
0: oh oh definitely and when the the film was obviously in pre production, the diverse range of comics and comic book stories looking into the Joker's origins, you know, the Killing Joke, the Long Halloween, all the all the popular ones, but then a couple of the more niche comic book storylines as well, really added a lot of substance to Ledger's Joker and really provided Ledger with such a platform that not only was there all this source material to what they wanted the Joker to be but they also had a fantastic captain at the helm of this role to guide the ship in the direction that he saw fit and he took the Joker into a very very dark place he took the Joker into a very dark place and I think that is something that in a lot of areas, Nicholson didn't necessarily do. Cesar Romero nec- didn't necessarily do. And it was his co- the combination of Hans Zimmer's score and all the various acts that the Joker commits throughout the film that made him a more aggressive Joker than we had seen before.
1: Yeah, and his plan as well, the plan of um, of the Joker, I think... Um, doesn't get a lot of credit like, people go oh, how would he have known this about when to send the guy with the phone in his stomach and all that and it's, it's you it's, can't it... treat this show, you can't treat this movie like it's CSI, you know it's still, down to its roots, a comic book movie, but the first 400 times you watch this movie I could tell you, it really didn't bother me because it does, it keeps your suspension of disbelief and you can believe that this crazed maniac would think that this kind of thing would happen.
0: Exactly, and you know we've we've got to sort of set, we've got we've got to sort of take a little bit of the realism out of it, and that what, how did he know when the when he the, he would need to break himself out of the prison and he would need to answer his phone call, but again, adding to that dark macabre Joker that Ledger had created for us, it provided a lot of substance to build off of where we had explored, where we had got to see firsthand what the Joker was capable of. He was capable of terror and it was very well planned, very well executed terror. And calling back to what we just discussed regarding the opening bank robbery sequence, he was cutting off any loose ends that could connect himself to the robbery, even though it would be blatantly obvious that it was him and he blended in with all the other school buses perfectly at the right time when all the school buses turned around that corner and carried on down the street. He knew what he was doing and he knew how to keep the Batman at at edge. A few years ago, whilst scouting arguably the greatest TV channel of all time, YouTube, I came across a video by the Wired YouTube channel analyzing different movie accents. And if you haven't seen the video already, I'd I'd thoroughly recommend you go and watch it, because an American dialect coach called Eric Singer takes all these different roles, good and bad. Um, It could be looking at Renee Zellweger in Bridget Jones, or it could be looking at... Jake Hall in Brokeback Mountain and his and his Wyoming accent. All these, all these little different accents and he analyzes and he breaks them down and separates the good linguistic techniques from the bad and what makes a good movie accent. And in one of his episodes, he discusses the Joker. And I think he summarizes it perfectly. And, in, and his exact quote is he described his sort of American New York style accent as a very weird idiosyncratic accent for a weird idiosyncratic character and i think and i'm gonna i'm gonna get a bit technical here as a as an um an english language student but it, it really is phenomenal how much effort Heath Ledger put into this role, not just in his in his mannerisms, in his acting ability, but also in his accent as well. And he created this very weird blend of different American dialects, that, that specific scene when he bursts into Wayne's Tower and demands to see Harvey Dent, whereas Harvey Dent, and he sort of has that. That bend in the vowel, that diphthong there, and that's commonly found in southern accents. And then he's sort of got this more bright upbeat um accent in other places that is more similar to a New York accent. And and he sort of goes in between all these different styles, and it, it really represents how crazy and maniacal and unplanned the Joker always is in everything that he does. And It also shows to me that this is a man who's moved around a lot. This is a man who's moved around a lot, he's hardened himself on the streets maybe, or he's hardened himself working for different people, but it it again creates that shroud of mystery that we like to see with the Joker. That he's got this very weird blend of different American accents and we don't really know where he's from, we can't place it exactly. All we can suggest is because of all these different accents that he's putting together. Like Keith Ledger said, he's a he's a man completely torn apart by schizophrenia, and he doesn't really know who he is anymore, and he's 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 lost sight of all of his former self. We can assume that one at one point he was sane, but we don't know that for sure. That's not a certain surefire guarantee. But this little accent that he has is really also complemented by all his little hand gestures. And this is what I think, and and his gestures in general, which is really interesting with Heath Ledger's character. And one in particular that I love is his little, little sort of tongue flick, like a snake. Little tongue flick when he's whether he's monologuing or whether he's having just casual conversation with characters, it adds to that level of craziness and that sort of predatory tone that the Joker has, and it reminds us of the darkness that Heath Ledger is trying to convey with this character.
1: Yeah, the reason that that uh, tongue flick is in there is the makeup people were putting makeup that was too dry on his face and uh he had to keep licking it or otherwise it would come off so that was like another hour in the makeup room really and then him and uh chris nolan had a conversation about it and he said why don't i just make it part of the character and he he was doing this on the fly while like on one of his first days on set he was like i can't not emote and just for the makeup stuff i need to be able to like talk and have this great uh, and have all these mannerisms about it and when you go back and watch like a knight's tale probably one of the other films he's most known for mm-hmm. and he doesn't have all these mannerisms and stuff and you realize yeah he's put so much into this role
0: because and another Accent that Eric Singer also looks at in one of the videos is his te- is Heath Ledger's Texan accent from Brokeback Mountain, and he nails that as well. And it's a testament to the versatility of this character of of, of this actor and the work that he puts into his characters, and that shone through massively with the Joker. And I've just spent the past few minutes talking about one very niche area, one very specific niche area of the Joker, and that's his accent and the, the tongue-flicking mannerism. But already we can see how complex this character is and how Heath Ledger took, undertook such um, a mass of complexity that he, he knocked out the park. He hit straight out of the park and... And that's not the only mannerism, that's not the only mannerism that I've found particularly interesting. And I think this is also something that Will is looking forward to talking about as well. It's that introductory scene with the knob, the the, the, the mob. So... (laughs) I'm gonna leave that in. I'm not cutting that. I'm not cutting that. The the, the mob. It's let's, fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> absolutely stupendous. But um, but it's, it's it's that introductory scene with the mob where we sort of see that laugh. And what I what I think is so interesting about that scene is that when he's walking, when he's walking into frame, it's also like he's walking into set for the first time, and he's having a little bit of a play about with what this with what this laugh can do, and it's the ha-ha-ha-hee-hoo-ha, and he sort of takes it into all these different places, and he's sort of having a little bit of a play about with what he can do with it, and immediately, he struck me as a very experimental joker. As he famously says later on in the, pl- in, in the film, which we'll talk about in a, in a few moments, do I look like a guy with a plan? No, he really doesn't. And he doesn't sound like a guy with a plan. From jumping to different styles of accents, to this weird sort of laugh that he has in, the, in his opening scene. He really is a very unpredictable character.
1: He's a dog chasing cars, to quote it himself, isn't he?
0: He's he, exactly he's he's a dog he's a dog chasing cars, and it's that and it's that opening scene where we where we learn an awful lot, don't we, about the character of the Joker. So what are a, a few things that you took away from that opening scene?
1: I mean, I know it was shown in uh the opening and the bank robbery, but him just slamming that guy's head down on a pencil uh, little uh eight-year-old nine-year-old me uh, I, think, I think that probably gave me my love for Robocop and gratuitous violence <laughs> and uh, when it when it's revealed um the grenades under his jacket um, all the stuff about um the um Chinese guy I, I can't remember his name the Chinese guy on the TV on, the, on screen the, and they're all talking to him.
0: And the talking house, television.
1: Like, he's he's gonna Lau, That's his name. Lau, uh, Yes. Uh, he'll squeal. And uh, I know and that I know
0: that like childish. Uh, not him
1: having these childish words while doing something so disgusting. Kind of adds more than you would be expecting from most comic book villains, and especially looking at excluding Thanos, every Marvel villain after, excluding Thanos and Loki, that they aren't as good, they're still great, but all of the others just just don't have the same. Like, I told someone to name me uh, two of the character traits and the name of the villain from uh, Batman and the Wasp. Think they could do it? No. Because there wasn't enough time and effort put into each of these characters. And that's why this film and this performance stands up and we're still talking about it now.
0: Oh no, 12 years years on from when it was made, exactly. And I I think that is a massive talking point to take away from it. We are... We're here discussing arguably one of the greatest superhero films of all time. One, In my opinion, one of the greatest films of all time. And one of the greatest performances, in my opinion, of all time. And we are still talking about it today. And it's still held in such high esteem. And that that's what sort is of seen when he's obviously, as you mentioned, with Lowen And he refers to him as the talking television. And Batman will find him and make him squeal. Yeah, it, exactly. It's that... He's having he's these really dark subjects and he's making light of them, which really accents how deranged the Joker is. But right from the get-go, Heath Ledger is making the audience know how deranged the Joker is. For, for any audience member, perhaps maybe a younger child who is newer to Batman, or maybe adults who sort of saw this film and, and just fancy going to watch it, someone who's new to the character. He's making people who are very unfamiliar with the character very comfortable knowing who the character is very early on. And even with comic book veterans, even with big fans of all of, the, of, all of his comics and all of his stories and the past incarnations of Joker... He is still letting the audience know that not only is he here and he's putting his mark on the character of the Joker, but he's also taking the Joker in the direction that he sees fit. And, it's, and you can draw an interesting parallel there with that scene... As we mentioned in the last episode with Jack Nicholson's Joker, when he's running through the van- uh, the museum, vandalizing it like no tomorrow, and he's and he's there. I'm here. It's me. I'm the Joker, and I'm loving it. And that's what we get from Heath Ledger's Joker. He's he's still playing about with the character and what the character can do, and he's loving it. And in playing about with the character in this early scene, it really shows. is not is not only a testament again to ledger's acting ability but it's also a testament to the mark that he wanted to create with this character and and his proposition to the to the gangsters of killing the batman expanding upon what what i mentioned before about his is sort of his, his plans his sort of big master plans that will unravel as the film goes on and we learn more about him he never wants to kill the Batman. He wants to coerce the mob into thinking that he does so he can use the mob against themselves and then subtract all the power from him. It's that very famous scene, particularly in the film, where he slides down the pyramid of money and then all of a sudden his goons come in and set fire to the lot. And he talks about how all they care about is money and that this town deserves a better class of criminal and he's going to give it to them.
1: And by hell he does.
0: By hell he does.
1: Um. <laughs> um and this uh, like rolls into the plan that he has that we'll talk about later. This rolls into how. Uh, I think that was also a bit of a wink, like, you know, we're gonna give you a a better movie than the last few because what were the last Batman movies after that? Before this, sorry. So we yeah, have Batman Begins, good
0: mm-hmm. film, which was you know? good, which was good, right. yeah.
1: Yeah, and then what was the live-action Batman film before The Dark Knight?
0: Ooh, before Batman Begins. Batman and Robin. Yeah, ah, yes, yes, that was, hmm. Now, (laughs) let's be
1: honest here, the chase scene in The Dark Knight, like, when it's all done with miniatures and it's just, like, a tiny little van and a little uh, tumbler Batmobile, these things that they're filming real—it's such a step up from the filmmaking of the of the previous Batman movies. As much as you might love the eighty-nine movie, Chris Nolan knows how to direct a blockbuster, and he brings that expertise straight to this movie.
0: Oh, exactly, and and expanding upon that, I think. Especially still surrounding, you know, like in the 80s, you sort of had the the sort of comical um, Christopher Reeve Superman. And there was. Superheroes and supervillains and comic books weren't sort of taken in the sort of serious tone that a lot of people perhaps wanted them to be taken. And I also think in, in undertaking the dark knight trilogy nolan really wanted to accentuate how he was here to not only leave his mark on the superhero film industry but also to help reaffirm the reassure the fans that he is he is here to raise raise the raise the awareness raise the prominence of of superheroes and and not only that but create a character and hire an actor to lead a character down a path which brings in such a wide audience and reminds people that superheroes don't superhero movies don't have to be these dumb silly things of good fighting evil. Is they they can also be these really deep and macabre emotions running through them and these characters that we can empathize with and 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 hate and love at the same time and all these all these different complexities that really add a lot of substance as you said from batman and robin which pretty much did a good job in putting a nail in the coffin of you know of batman movies of course the 89 film was fantastic but batman and robin for what of a better word pretty much pissed it against the wall um and then and then and then nolan comes along with batman begins and then the dark knight and all of a sudden all this faith in the superhero genre in Batman, in Batman films, is properly restored. One thing that I think is especially interesting about Heath, I mean, there's a lot that's especially interesting about his character, but we always talk about with Joker that you need an actor who will always bring something new to the role, who will always put their own little spin on the Joker and add to the complexity of and range of what this character can accomplish. And it was this sort of the these sort of fragments of suicidal tendencies really that the joke that Heath Ledger really blew out of proportion for the Joker. That very poignant scene where Batman is is chasing the Joker in the Batpod and he drives towards the lorry, swerves around it, takes, swerves through the poles and then flips the Joker's lorry. And the Joker calls out, crawls out and starts walking towards, walking towards the Batpod. And then Batman speeds up and starts going towards him. And he's like, come on, come on, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. Come on, hit me, hit me. And he, but... It's suicidal in in a sense that, that it shows the Joker has this very lackluster outlook on life, which is very true to the character and very traditional of the character. But then again, it's also demonstrating how the Joker knows Batman better than Batman knows himself, almost. I really got that impression from this particular scene where... He's just stood there waiting for Batman to run him over. And Batman just swerves around the side of him and crashes into the lorry. And then the Joker just all of a sudden, holding the machine gun in hand, just turns and just looks at him. And he knows. He knows that the Batman was never going to do it. And that's why he put himself in such a position of risk. Because he knew he could do it. And he knew he could get away with it. It's why in I the inter- he Go, on. Go on. Go on.
1: Even if he couldn't get away with it, he's won anyway because Batman's killed.
0: Exactly because 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 Batman's killed. It's a Joker. What well, what I always think about with the Joker, I always think about. Does the Joker ever really want to kill Batman? Does the Joker ever really want to win necessarily against Batman? Yeah, he wants to. He wants to win, but he never wants to kill Batman. And like we talked about last week, he always wants to keep the Batman at bay, but close enough so he's always reeled in. So Batman's always intrigued by what Joker is going to do next. And Ledger, in this particular scene with the lorry, of enticing him in, come on, come on, goading him, almost, it really accentuated that and showed how... showed on... On one level, that the Joker really didn't care much for himself and his future, and that sort of lackluster outlook to life reflected his style of chaos. But it also it also just just showed generally that his relationship with Batman is something that even he will never admit to even though he may want to at times and even though he may be aggressive and a little bit sinister and kill whoever's in his path he will kill whoever's in his path not to get to batman and kill him but to just get to batman to lead batman out of the shadows and he's always and it's this constant cat and mouse mouse chase and what i especially found powerful ...about Nolan's films, and I'm not sure if you'll agree with me, Will... ...is how well, in The Dark Knight, he directed these particular emotions... ...of the Batman and the Joker, of this very sort of love-hate relationship... ...where they have this bond that takes them deeper than other villains that Batman has.
1: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think that's really shown well... um... In Batman begins with Razagul uh, and how he's almost this kind of surrogate father figure to him, and how he knows him, as you said, with the Joker. Mm-hmm. Razagul knows his weaknesses, and that's what he's trying to exploit. And I know Batman begins, is, at least in my opinion, is probably the, the worst of the trilogy.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, a fair, movie, that's a fair comment. That's a fair comment.
1: It has those relationships between hero and the villain, the the um that you were just talking about.
0: Because, and and going on from what you said there, with with Batman Begins, it was very much about Ra's Ghoul exposing Batman's weaknesses and using them for Ra's own gain. With with the Joker, he doesn't want to use anything for his own gain. And especially with, especially with Heath Ledger's Joker. He doesn't want to necessarily have an upper hand on Batman. He just wants to take these character traits of the Batman. Learn them and study them. And then just explore all the little different ways that he can toy with them. And not use them against Batman. But use them with Batman to wind him up. To keep him on his toes. And that is what always will make the Joker in my opinion one of the best movie villains of all time but also one of the be- what the best probably the best Batman villain that he always he always finds ways to get through to Batman and keep Batman connected to him and most notably it is through it is through Heath Ledger's and Heath Ledger's Joker's explo- exploitation of those ones that Batman cares for. And that that scene, even though he doesn't know her, one of those very poignant scenes in the film is when when he bursts into Wayne Tower and he sees Rachel. And calling and calling back to what I said about the accent, is the well, hello, beautiful. Then he then he goes from that and and something that seems you know bright and upbeat, and he goes and you are beautiful. He he changes himself from something that seems very casual, and when when he's you know playing playing with his hair and everything, and then all of a sudden his accent breaks down and his demeanor breaks down, and he becomes so much more sinister, and he flips so quickly from one character trait to the next and it's reflecting that heavily psychopathic nature of the Joker and when and when he grabs Rachel um shoots the door and holds her out of it <laughs> that what has since been turned to a meme on Batman says, let her go and he says very poor choice of words and and just drops her he knows he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows he can drop her, and it'll have no consequence. Even though he wouldn't even care if Rachel had died, he he drops her out, knowing that Batman will run after her, knowing that Batman won't care to do the morally right, th- to do what would be in the grand scheme of things the right thing, which would probably be to tackle Joker potentially at the sacrifice of Rachel, apprehend Joker, maybe even kill him. Which is what perhaps a lot of the vigilantes and a lot of other more realistic movie heroes would do. But he knows Batman can't. In the same way that he knows Batman can't run him down with the bat pod in that long sort of street scene midway through the film, he knows that Batman won't be able to take sacrifice in a life to stop someone else to stop him from taking loads of lives he knows he he knows that's not good enough for the batman so he drops her allowing himself to escape but also allowing allowing the batman to save rachel and it's it's a callback to all these little ways where he can just test batman and that's another interesting point well and and i'll like i'll expand upon what you said about about the testing with with Rachel Ghoul in Batman Begins especially one of my favorite sequences from that film is when Christian Bale and Liam Neeson are fighting each other on the ice with katanas would you agree
1: uh no that, R- the, the cinematography of the action in Batman Begins is almost
0: unwatchable no but no no i, it I mean it makes
1: up for it because the dialogue in that scene is fantastic
0: that's what i mean that that's what i mean the dialogue where he's where he's training him and where he's trying to eliminate his fears and oh, find yeah. his weakness and and he's and finally when christian bale says you've exposed you've you know sacrificed a sturdy stance for a killing blow and he's, and, he's, and he's testing Batman and he's trying to improve him. Joker isn't trying to make the Batman... Heath Ledger's Joker isn't trying to make the Batman worse. And he isn't trying to improve him either. He's just using him in a pointless scheme like a merry-go-round that has no real end. That has very little of an ultimate goal aside from causing chaos.
1: And that's why we still talk about him today.
0: And that's because and that's why we still talk about him today. Exactly.
1: I think that was uh, how this character was written. Was taken by um, was taken by Nolan when he was writing Inception, and a lot of it was given to Mal, mm-hmm. uh, the the wife of Leonardo DiCaprio. And how uh, she, because she's obviously not real. Technically, she's in the dream state. She has this erratic behavior that isn't uh, that, that isn't what like a normal person would be doing. And that was that was obviously taken from when he wrote the Joker. He took some of these aspects, but what makes the Joker's version better? One that he's interacting with the real world, but two that he has that all of his actions play into one another. So one goes to the next, goes to the next, goes to the next. Each of the actions into the plan. Well, uh, Mao's character it do- it doesn't as much. It's more just one bad thing, a second bad thing, and a third bad thing. Maybe apart from the train, which
0: has a couple meanings Mm. there's there's definitely a lot of a lot of meanings with with joker's character with with heath ledger's joker in particular and nolan's style of acting of of, of directing as you mentioned where he he creates these these really intriguing characters with these with all these all these little stories that they're trying to convey and that and it on, on the subject of stories that that I think takes us nicely to something else that I want to talk about, and it's he tells it in different ways, but it's the motif of the scars. The motif of the scars. What do you, what do you have to say about that? Will
1: I always took the scars as more of um, what would um, what would terrify that person the most? So when he's talking about so when he's talking to Rachel, he uses the wife uh, storyline, but he also does the military one, and father was a drinker one, and each time he uses that, whether unknowingly or whatever, that that would relate to those characters that he was telling the story to, so the father was a drinker one, or... um obviously you know batman doesn't really have parents <laughs> mm. um and how he said it he's trying to get in the head of these other people and you never really know how he's um how he's got them and to be honest you don't really want to cuz for all its amazingness batman 1989 showed us that if you give the joker too much context he's
0: not as scary no no he, no, he isn't and i exactly oh exactly exactly and and for me that the the one the the, the w- multiple ways that he that he reads it that he uses the scars you know with the why so serious with talking to the mob and and sort of you know pinning pinning down one of these mob bosses and pretending to be dead and capturing him and, and essentially slitting, slitting through his um, through his mouth in the same way, the Joker has the Joker has his with his scars, and then, he he's using that to intimidate the mob and enforce that he is going to become the new criminal in Gotham. He is going to become the superior criminal, and no member of the mob will be able to stop him. And then with Rachel. He's relating himself to more of a family man who's broken down, and he sort of tells this very dark, macabre tale. And it's and exactly like you said, Will, when we were discussing his in, his proper introductory scene when all the mobs are sat in that room and he's talking about the talking television and the squealer. He's he always he's he's having all these little funny ideas and all these little funny lines are coming out. And but he's discussing really dark things. And that's what I find particularly interesting about this sequence with Rachel. That he talks about how he sticks a razor in his mouth. And then he does this to himself. And, you know, how she can't stand the sight of me. And he and he sounds as if he's about to burst into tears. And then all of a sudden he says, But now I'm always smiling. And it's again, it's a testament to how quickly Ledger can twist this joke character that he's created. How he can instantly change from one mood to the next. And that, in this particular scene with Rachel, is what helps terrify her so much. Whereas with the mob, he's using more of a direct tactic and he's being more aggressive. With Rachel, he's flicking through all of his different personalities. He's using a lot of these psychological means at his disposal to essentially break her down. And break her stance down and essentially, you know, r- reveal how, how scared she actually is and humiliate her in front of the crowd of people. Joker. I think um,
1: one of the best uh, things about Chris Nolan's directing is that, especially with big action scenes, he only directs once. He will do the scene once uh, and he will just have so many angles of it and that scene that we were you were just talking about when he walks in and talks to Rachel that scene was the first take because uh that was Maggie Gyllenhaal who played Rachel hadn't seen him with his make with the makeup on before and that's why she couldn't look at him so that was some great almost improv acting from Maggie Gyllenhaal over Mm -hmm. there
0: Oh she she was fantastic as as Rachel in that film as well yeah
1: better than uh what was that, what was the name in the first in Batman Begins
0: I can't I can't remember but I I, I don't remember her being very good
1: <laughs> she, she no she was okay she was
0: but she wasn't as good as Maggie uh, Gyllenhaal she wasn't as good as Maggie uh, Gyllenhaal uh, Kate Holmes Oh yes if yes she
1: just wasn't she didn't have the complexity or the acting ability of mackie gyllenhaal
0: (laughs) but it's, it's 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 how he uses those how he uses those scars to and and that's what that's what makes that's what adds to that sort of sinister tone that heath ledger is trying to create it's not it's not this sort of painted on smile that you would see with cesar romero's joker or or um or Jared Leto's joker or Phoenix's joker it's a forced smile and as i mentioned right at the start of this heath ledger locked himself in a hotel room for about a month to find the 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 complexity and the loneliness of of a character that he was trying to make and he he sent himself to a very dark place and at a very particular place in his mind that would allow him to create the most fulfilling joker performance and in in creating these scars that almost force him to smile it's a reflection of how ledger is trying to convey that the joker even though he may seem, you know, upbeat or aggressive at times, there's a lot of sadness within him. There's an awful lot of loneliness within him. And I think, and talking about, and, and again, like, like I linked last episode with the Batman Arkham video game series, there's a sequence at the end of the video game where the Joker and the Batman sort of fight for control within the Batman subconscious. And eventually, the Joker is sort of locked up, and he's and he's pleading, "Bruce, please, no, please, no." And and that really is sort of mirrored here. The Joker is always afraid of being forgotten. He wants to be memorable, and he wants to be memorable, certainly in a way that no one has ever seen before.
1: And how many villains uh, in movies do you talk about this long after they came
0: out? i know i know i know i know i know know you i know you keep you keep saying but it's so true it's so true that we are we are having this massive in-depth discussion about a character that we love a character that's 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 12 years old played by one actor but is decades and decades years old through the medium of comic books other films cartoons whatever else and what makes the joker so fascinating is that there's always something new to talk about with him. And especially with, with with Heath Ledger's Joker, the the diversity of characterization that Ledger gave us and his show, his showcasing of how versatile he can make the Joker. It showed that he wanted to push, the not only himself to the limits with this role, he wanted to really challenge himself, but he wanted to push the Joker to the limits. He wanted to see how far the character could get pushed. And I think in making him so dark and so psychotic, he did that incredibly. And we've we spent a little bit of time talking about Joker has this sort of little bit of a a a merry-go-round plan with the bank robbery at the start with toying with the mob and taking control from the mob but there is one exception to this there is one situation with one very large picture within the dark knight where the joker does actually have a plan and it, and it goes against everything of the Joker's ideals. Do I look like a guy with a plan, etc. And you could argue on the one hand that this breaking of characterization oh, is so taboo and, and, it, and it shouldn't be done. But Ledger pulls it off masterfully. And it was masterfully written in by Logan. And it's something that Will is probably jumping up and down in his chair right now, ready to talk about. It's the... <laughs> It's the relationship of the trio of Batman, Harvey Dent, and The Joker. So, Will, would you like to start us off?
1: Yeah. I've uh so th- there's a massive thunderstorm outside, so you might hear some of that. Yeah, but um
0: that's apt. that's 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 also me worth worth noting. I'm I'm recording this on a night of a thunderstorm well, thunderstorm, so my apologies for Mother Nature in advance. Anyway, Will, continue.
1: So I think uh, during uh, when looking at this film, that Aaron Eckhart gets such a bad rap. He is fantastic in this movie. Mm. And no, he's not as good as the Joker, because the Joker is, he's a one of a kind. But Aaron Eckhart's performance in this film is absolutely fantastic. And he has this not goody two-shoes, but he has this American icon feeling.
0: Exactly.
1: And, and when he's in court and he grabs the gun off the guy, tries to assassinate him, and he still <laughs> but, has that...
0: And, he's, and he says at and the end, but Your Honour, I'm not done. Your Honour, I'm not done. Yeah.
1: He's so good. And you see, and when he has the coin and it's two, two heads, that's so good. And he's such a good character. And then to break him, and for him to do this g- good old switcheroo uh, and become this like terrifying uh, man who's got some of the best CGI face animations ever is absolutely amazing. I'd love to see uh, what else they could have done. I don't know if there is... Extended stuff with this with the Harvey Dent performance, but I'd love to see that. And turning Harvey Dent bad, I think a, a lot of the time when you talk about the Two Face character, they don't give enough time to Dent.
0: No, this they did. No, and I and I and, and it's. I see. I have out of all of Batman's villains. Obviously, you know, I've, I love the Joker, but I have always loved Two Face. I've always been fascinated by Two-Face and sort of this this D de- this um district attorney sort of gone rogue and his and his sort of fascination with duality and his sort of and his use of the lucky coin. I've always found him a really fascinating character. So upon introducing um Harvey Dent to Harvey Dent to The Dark Knight, it was always going to be interesting to see how that character would be used and It's exactly like you said, you know, at the start of the film, he's this golden boy. He's this person who who brings who um, brings, um, you know, Bruce at odds with with Rachel. And they they sort of have this um, very uneasy sort of tension over Rachel. Um, And. And I, I, I do definitely agree that you know, in in the casting of Aaron Eckhart, that people don't praise him enough. And I think he was fantastic. And what I especially, one comparison that I especially want to draw is there's a lot of mirroring between the relationship that Harvey Dent had with the Joker and what Anakin Skywalker had with Emperor Palpatine. Where... Anakin with Joker, like Palpatine, saw someone with a lot of potential, but also with a lot of power and a lot of presence. And with all this power came a lot of responsibility for Harvey Dent. You know, the, the mayor said, he said, when you, when you go public with all these arrests, you're going to have the mob. Everyone else is going to be on your back and you are not going to know where to turn. And Harvey Dent doesn't care. Harvey Dent's like, nah, bring him on bring him on, it's fine, I, I'm, I'm not bothered, you know, I'm, I've am i got to do my job at the end of the day, and I'm going to stand up for what I believe in, and him and um, Batman and Jim Gordon sort of launch this tirade on organised crime in Gotham but the emergence of the Joker the emergence of the Joker really does throw a spanner in those works and the scene in particular is how The Joker, that interrogation scene where we find out that Harvey Dent and Rachel never got home. So we know something bad is going to happen. We know corrupt cops are involved. And we know somehow the Joker is involved. And he uses that to get to Batman. And he says that they are at two separate locations. And what I, what the one thing I always love about this. I always love is that he's got these two people that batman cares about at two different locations and only one of them can be saved and he gives him the wrong address he gives him the wrong address i thought that was so clever so obviously you know it was it was obviously you know so foreseeable but in my opinion, I thought the giving him the wrong address, knowing just in that little bit extra that the Joker could play with Batman and use Harvey Dent. But not only that, I thought the way in which Harvey Dent became Two-Face, as in physically, you know, how he was dis- disfigured, was, was was sort of very realistic where he was trying to break himself free and, um, you know, half of his face got covered with oil. What do you think about that, Will? I think that's... uh one of the best
1: scenes in the movie uh, and how the how he actually became uh, him was still realistic enough that it could uh, it could actually happen and that leads me to my favorite scene in the film I know everyone really loves the the uh, scene in the police station and all that stuff but my favorite scene, is the hospital i would
0: agree with you i would agree with you and
1: everything in that hospital whether that's two face versus the joker whether that's the explosions that don't go off at the right time and actually make it better whether that's um um the explosion of the building that was actually real that was done after Mm -hmm. there is so much the 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 shot of the joker getting into the school bus that wasn't used and in it stays on him for an extra 30 seconds and he does not look back and this shot isn't in the movie but if you look at it and it and it added so much to this character that just f- from me going away and looking it, it improved it to no end for, in my opinion.
0: But he, but it also shows that Ledger's Joker, especially, not that he necessarily doesn't have the conscience, but but he's but he's too psychopathic to even know what a conscience, what a guilty conscience is over what he's just done, and what he's just done, is like that scene, is 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 exactly like in Revenge of the Sith when, um, Anakin has just killed Mace Windu to defend Palpatine after he was ou- ousted as a Sith Lord, and Palpatine. Sort of exploits the fear in Anakin in the same way that the Joker exploits the fear and the rage of Harvey Dent, and he knows he can see it in his eyes. That he that he stands there and he sort of calmly talks to him, and he talks about how he's a dog dog chasing cars as you mentioned before, and he wouldn't know what to do with one if he caught it, and he says, you know, I you know I I don't do I look like a guy with a plan. And he's all these little manipulations work brilliantly to the Joker's advantage because, in actual fact, this is all one great big plan. And Harvey Dent can't see that. Two Face can't see that. He can't see what the Joker is turning Harvey into. And that's what, like you said, with the hospital, with this being your favorite scene, and it's my favorite scene as well. That's what makes this scene so interesting.
1: I think it's uh, drawn a great parallel to the Dark Knight Rises. And I know, okay, you d- talk about the Dark Knight Rises, half the people cheer and half the people want your head. But the scenes in the Dark Knight Rises of, um, at the football stadium, when you have been manipulating every single person at the stadium instead, and how. Uh, showing all these people this bomb, exactly, and how he can take control of all these people. That was, uh, whatever your opinions on the movie, I think that also shows how Chris Nolan can direct these villains in a way no one else can.
0: Oh, exactly, and he's and he's he's taking these villains, and he's taking the actions of these villains and he's using them to turn other villains and other characters against one another and what we talked a lot about in the in the last episode was the Joker, and anyone playing the Joker has to have the ability to hold the room and you've got this golden boy of Gotham, this golden boy of, of Harvey Dent, you know who's, as, as Joker goes on to describe him as Gotham's white knight he he just sits there and just says hardly anything and just listens to the Joker and listens to the Joker rabbit on and rabbit on and rabbit on about whatever scheme that he's planning because he knows that he's powerless to the Joker. He, al- he always knows that he's powerless to the Joker and that nothing that he say or that he can try and do will ever get guy- wrap up on the Joker because he literally... He literally holds... He literally grabs the gun. He literally he takes out a gun and he puts it in Harvey's hand. And he says, add a little chaos to the equation. You know, I'm an agent of chaos. And he and he talks about how, you know... Uh, how, how he likes chaos because it's fair. And... There, that little, it's fair. He's playing exactly... He's letting Harvey play exactly into the Joker's chest because... He, he knows that he's playing into his ideals as a district attorney and his ideals as someone who wants to see justice in Gotham. But he's taking that idea of justice and, to quote what Joker says later on, he's bringing it down to our level. He's making, he's exploiting that justice so Dent will go and use it improperly. and he puts, And he puts the gun against his head, again exploring those suicidal tendencies And then all of a sudden we see this motif of the coin, where Harvey flips his coin coin in the air to decide whether he lives or whether he dies. And that exact scene is the moment where Harvey Dent made the transformation from becoming the bright and shining district attorney to the dark and seedy Two-Face. He crossed that realm. He crossed that realm in that moment. And... Of course, the Joker doesn't actually expect Two Face to shoot him, even though he might have done. But he puts the gun against his head to serve the purpose of knowing what the consequences will be if he does so, and he knows that in that because Batman went after, because Batman would have gone after Rachel, and he went after Harvey, and then Gordon failed to rescue Rachel that eventually, in his killing spree, Harvey would ultimately come back to Jim Gordon. And he would find a way to use Jim Gordon.
1: And what you just said there about that scene is one of the reasons why it's one of my favourite parts. But there's a huge part of that scene that nobody ever sees. And it is that when he puts the gun to his head, you look at the trigger, and he has his finger under the trigger. So if if he did
0: ki- if he did do it right, he would have been able to pull the trigger. Mm. And
1: I didn't see that the first ten times watching this movie, and that has given it that rewatchability. Little things like that that he might have rolled kill on that, but he. He, he didn't end up doing it in the end, maybe because he didn't toss it right, or maybe because his finger was behind the trigger.
0: Let's, let's say, let's say that the Joker hadn't been, you know, that he, and but but we don't know, we don't know, so let's, because of that scene, it was the look from, um, De, the look from Dentaf's Joker said, hmm, now we're talking, and it was that look that, that said, um, oh, okay, you know, let, let's go for it, and that then it cuts to black and it transitions, but we let's say that the Joker, that he was going to kill the Joker, and he tried to kill the Joker after flipping his coin and everything else. It wouldn't make a difference even if he had tried to and he had failed, and Dent had been pissed off that justice wasn't served. It wouldn't have made a difference because he planted this idea that he can use this coin, this charred coin, on one side, for his own kind of justice, to take matters into his own hand against the mob. That's what. That's what the Joker sought to do in this situation. He wasn't sacrificing himself. He was purely using himself as an example, as an experiment for his own twisted scheme, that Two Face would then go on out to act, and his plan. And his plan was never ever to kill. His plan was never ever to kill the Batman. His plan was to kill the Batman's sort of allies. And not literally kill, but metaphorically. When Two-Face crossed a threshold that he could never return from, and he started gunning down all these mob, all these corrupt um, mob members, um, and then which eventually obviously led him back to Jim Gordon... It's, it's the whole idea the Joker is knowing in that exact moment in the hospital. If I point this gun at my head and I tell him, you know, to seek out justice but make it fair, playing into those little, those little legal exploits that Harvey Dent knows, and I put the gun against my head but I put the finger under the trigger to stop him from shooting, I know that by the time I walk out of this room, he is going to be a changed man. And I know I am going to be the one who's done it. And that is exactly what this scene is about. It is lamenting the change of Harvey Dent into Two-Face, for better or worse.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: And then that, that leads us towards the end of the film, where... We see the Joker We see the Joker on on the construction site where Bruce finally tracks him down using the sort of sonar technology that was presented to him by um by Lucius Fox and he eventually gets to him and hangs him from the roof. And all of a sudden there's this there's this all of a sudden drop in the face of Batman. What did you do? And and talking about joker talking about all the heroic things he's done um in my terrible joker joker accent um but he but he uses the that the, i took off white knight and brought him down to our level He's telling Batman his plan, but he's savouring the moment so much. There he is, hanging from a building, knowing Batman could take a knife off his, or a bat off his utility belt and just swipe the cord and send him plummeting to his death. He knows he can't, he know, because again, like with the whole Rachel situation, he knows he will never do it. So he sits there, dangling upside down, just taunting him. I have taken one of your strongest allies and I've turned him against you. And now he's at, and now he's at a sight, the sight of his ex-girlfriend, waiting to kill your other ally. What are you going to do about it? Because you were stuck here with me and you are powerless in this situation. And talking about power and talking about that power balance, that's exactly what the character of the Joker is about. It's about taking power from Batman, but taking power from the from the from the scene as well. And it's about owning the scene, whether you want to look at the hospital scene or whether you want to look about the more famously um, interrogation scene or whether you want to look at when he's burning down the pyramid of money. Every scene that the Joker's in in the novel, in, in the novel, the, pl- uh, the film, he holds it. He holds it better than any other character and more than any other character because the Joker has this presence that no other character can summit to. And that final, those final moments of the film where Batman reaches the site of Rachel's death and Jim confesses to the death of, the death of, um, of, of Rachel and Batman tackles tackles Harvey Dent and, and he falls to his death. There and then, the Joker has won. To to, to Batman, mentally, the Joker has won. But he still still tries not to let him win. But it's a lose-lose situation, I think. Because, in my opinion, the ending, where Batman takes the blame for what Harvey's done and goes off into exile, ultimately saves the reputation of Harvey and undoes the work the Joker sought to do. But then in doing so, the Joker has destroyed the reputation of the Batman. Don't you think?
1: Yeah. And he's also... uh, So now he could never go back and fight him again. Uh, And that was going to be a great part of the Dark Knight Rises. There was a scene written out which was uh, Batman going into Blackgate Prison... And talking to the Joker while he was still in prison because he was going to let everyone out. Bane was going to let everyone out apart from the Joker because he stands for anarchy and stuff that Bane never believed in. And it's not like what the League of Shadows believed in. And then Batman was going to go in and have this conversation with the Joker. It was going to be like to the, the, the to end all, if you will. But obviously that couldn't happen because of
0: he fledges tragic passing mm-hmm. but this that scene just the knowledge that that scene could have
1: happened it's like he joker broke him from because he because he had to take all of the blame he broke him in the end
0: and he and he won either either way he won either- he 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 was he wasn't like batman he wasn't bothered with sacrificing one life to sort of redeem another but 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 he put batman in an impossible situation where either way someone was going to suffer and in this situation it was batman Mm -hmm. and and he knew he knew that Batman would do whatever it took to redeem the identity of someone else that the Joker had sought to destroy and destroy his own identity in the process. Just to keep the rest of Gotham safe and the rest of Gotham secure in the knowledge that Harvey Dent was a good, morally stable, and morally right character. When he wasn't and we saw him become something so much more, something much darker. But Batman couldn't let that happen. And Jim Gordon knew in himself that he couldn't let that happen either. Even though he didn't want this for Batman. And even after Jim Gordon's family had nearly been killed at the hands of Dent. Jim Gordon still went on with, with Batman's plan. Because they both knew of what they had to do to, sacrifice, to, to stop the Joker winning. But it wasn't just the Batman as well, obviously, because it was Jim Gordon in that scenario. Jim Gordon also sacrificed his morals and he and he had to keep something secret. And it and it's a testament to how indirectly and Joker knew it all along. That Jim Gordon, that Harvey Dent wasn't the only white knight in Gotham because Jim Gordon was there, too. It was the trio of Batman, Jim Gordon, and Harvey Dent working together trying to bring down not only these organised crime syndicates, but the Joker as well.
1: Yeah, and I think for all these reasons, this is why this performance is my favourite live-action performance of the Joker.
0: Mm. How How he uses that character so expertly And with such finesse and grace that, like I said, we are are, we're we're coming towards the end of this episode now. But we are we we've, we've had a discussion tonight about a character that was created 12 years ago as if it's a character that we only remember from yesterday, as if we saw the film for the first time yesterday. That's how memorable this character is, and of course, myself and Will as big fans of this film, big fans of films, and of big fans of DC Comics in general, have seen and this Batman film, just and, Batman, and Batman in general, have seen this film and seen these dark, this Dark Knight trilogy a plethora of times, but we keep coming back to this film in particular over and over again... But more specifically, we keep coming back to this performance because of what this performance means to us. What this performance how does for us. us. How, how it stuck with us. It's, it's left a mark. And, and, that's, and that, I think, is what made Ledger's Joker so special. Is that by the end of the film, he had left a mark on Harvey Dent in turning him into Two-Face. He left a mark into Jim Gordon, knowing that he would, that despite what Harvey Dent had done, he would have to sacrifice his morals, send the Batman into exile and make him a wanted criminal in order to defend Harvey's actions and preserve his reputation. He had, the Joker had affected, uh, had left a mark on the Batman, knowing that he would never be seen as as a hero again, or so we thought, as you know, as that change in The Dark Knight Rises... But as someone who was willing to destroy their reputation. But he took that away from Batman. He took away that ability to enforce justice no matter what the cost. But then he also... He also left this mark on another group of people. The audience themselves. Me and you. Everyone else. He left this huge mark on us. Of some of an audience who would remember this character for years to come. And... In a way, that was what Heath Ledger Joker was trying to trying to convey. In a very weird sort of way, he was sort of always breaking the fourth wall because he was always because he was always addressing the members of the audience. No, address always addressing the members of the of the film. Um, you know, and the and the cast there. But then indirectly, he was also addressing us. He also had a script. And he also had, with his such compelling performance, he left such a mark on all of us. If, if anyone were to ask me what my three favourite superhero films of all time are, I would probably have to say Logan. I would probably also have to say Avengers Endgame and then I would also have to say The Dark Knight, and I, myself and Will, have always been big fans of Batman, I've always been a big fan of DC Comics, how it's much darker and more macabre than uh, than a lot of what Marvel have, have created, especially with the MCU and that, and The Dark Knight... did an an awful lot in putting superhero films back on the map it also once again reinforced the view that christopher nolan is sort of this rising star in the world of directors who's gone on to do incredible films as dunkirk inception and tenet and obviously the dark knight rises following this and for me i just think that this film was so spot on it was so spot on in so many different ways with the cast, with the score, with the story, with the writing, the directing, the cinematography, everything I thought about this film, the sound editing, it was all perfect. It was all perfect. But what but what really made it for me, what really shone through was the character of the Joker that was conveyed by Heath Ledger. And I, I always talk about how when I need... When I I watch a film, I need there to be a character who engages not only with the audience, not only with um, the cast, but with also the audience. And almost brings the audience into the plot, makes them a part of whatever they're doing. (coughs) And I think Heath Ledger's example is a perfect iteration of how that should be done across any platform, be it TV shows, be it cartoons, or films. And in that regard, it's why I think Heath Ledger is probably my favourite Joker. My, my favourite Joker of all time. But, 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 there is still one more role... There is still one more role that we have to talk about. We've we've spent a lot of today in great depths talking about Ledger's performance, and we could go on and on and on. We've talked Drum, about. Role, please. <laughs> we've talked about um, we've talked about Romero, Leto, um, Hamill, and also Nicholson in the past. But now we need to look forward to the most recent incarnation of Joker, and that will be a next. Um, in the next episode of this little mini series of the winning joke, where I'll be taking a look at Your Queen Phoenix's performance, and I'm looking forward to that one. And I'll probably be joined again for will, by Will for that one, um, because he's definitely got some strong opinions about that. And I think those will be really in- <laughs> <laughs> those will be-, it's be
1: some
0: fun time. <laughs> those 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 will, those will be re- it'll be really interesting to discuss, but. I think I think that's about it from me for this episode. Um, Will is there anything concerning the Joker, Heath Ledger, the character of the Joker in general? Anything that you wanna, anything that you wanna add?
1: I think you can talk endlessly about James, who portrayed James Bond and who portrayed Spider Man. Who was your favourite? And it always boils down. To the one you grew up with and the one you love the most. Mm-hmm. So that's why I love Toby Maguire with all the, you know, cheesy dialogue and all that.
0: And me, and me,
1: and yeah, and the the first DC thing I ever watched, apart from Batman: The Brave and the Bold, on on what was that CITV at eight o'clock in the morning, where my parents went up. But this. I watched The Dark Knight with my dad when I was so young and it gave me this love of this character and however much I do love um, Nicholson's performance or uh, enjoy seeing Joaquin Phoenix play it it, your favourite is always the one that you grew up with will always be a special place in your heart and the first one I saw was Heath Ledger and that's why it's always stuck there as the top tier up there with Mark Hamill from the animated series.
0: And 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 that that is that's is an excellent point there and, and just one final thing from me in regards to that it's you know like you like you said that you know we, we grew up you know with 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 a particular James Bond or a particular Spider-Man or a particular Joker or Batman or whatever and it's that particular one that we grew up with in our childhood that we remember and that we savor. And for me, like Will, that was Heath Ledger's Joker. And I think that it it doesn't really matter whether they are a hero or a villain. At the age that we were, you know, watching that film growing up, we, we, we find a way to idolize these characters. You know, we find a way to almost, as, as actors and as what characters should be in film, look at them and think, I love this film because of this guy and what this guy did in it or what this girl did in it or whoever. It, it doesn't... What, the, the, the things that we watch when, when we're children, you know, like with, and we see these actors, you know, like, like for me when I was younger, it was Katniss Everdeen with The Hunger Games as well. What, what watching her in that film, in that sort of badass role, it was, we, we see these films and we see the roles that are played by these actors and actresses and then we start following the actors and actresses and, and that is what shrouds really the Dark Knight in Sadness. It's that we will never get to see Heath Ledger's brilliant acting in another performance, but in a way that also makes the Dark Knight so much more special. Because we have a we have a showcase of what this actor can do at his peak, at his most with a role. And we can always savour that. We can always remember, in my opinion, the best of his acting ability in the role of the Joker in The Dark Knight. And 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 it's it's clever as well because i'm not sure if you found this well i found that with 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 heath ledger's joke obviously i loved it when i was a kid but because i was quite young watching it i i didn't fully understand it i couldn't I, I couldn't know
1: what schizophrenia was i
0: no no you know what i mean I couldn't look into those sort of fine elements of the cinematography and the scores and the editing around the characters and and the scripts all these all these other complex filmmaking elements I could just see the person on the screen and the person on the screen was enough but as you get older and a lot of those and a lot of the childhood films that you watch you go back and watch and you think now nah, that was pretty crap and then you but but with the dark knight is one film that definitely gets better with age and it gets better the more times you watch it as you said about how when he holds his finger behind the trigger and that's something you hadn't seen for like the first 10 times that you watched it you know it 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 it, it really is A a testament to Heath Ledger's acting, Heath Ledger's performance, that he's continuously adding more and more layers of of his performance, more and more hidden layers that the audience can always unravel. He's playing a game with Batman, but he's also playing a game with the audience too. And that's what makes Ledger's character so special, is that it's timeless. And timeless is what the Joker should be, fundamentally. And on on that note, I am going to end this episode. So thank you all so much for listening again. As always, if you have any queries, feel free to message me on Instagram at the CineRealm Podcast or get in touch with me over email podcast at Outlook.com if you've got any questions about the episodes or any suggestions for future episodes. But um other than that there's nothing else for me to say except for a big thank you again to Will Fletcher for coming on the show again and continuing this mini series with me. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me on dude. Looking forward to the next episode. Yes,
0: the ne- the next episode is going to be a good one. And, and again, I I can I can tell Will's probably um jumping up and down in his chair at the minute, but um But on that note, um, that's, that's it from me. So as always, thank you all so much for listening and I will see you for another episode. Take care, everyone.